Hello there. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. You might be asking yourself, what is the last thing I saw? I'll tell you that in a moment, but first, let me introduce myself. My name is Nicholas Rippold, and like a lot of people, I like to talk about movies with my friends in my free time. So I decided to look up a couple of good buddies of mine, Clinton Crute and Devika Girish, and talk about what we've been watching lately. Hence the title of the podcast. Simple as that. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and thank you for listening. Hello, welcome. My name is Nick Rapold, and I'm here with... Devika Girish. And, and, oh, and Clinton Crude. And we're going to talk about movies. So, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Clint, you're looking great. Thank you. Thank you. Nick, not so good. You've been, <laughs> it's been a rough quarantine. I've gone to seed. I know. It's, it's pretty sad. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be talking with you both. It's, it's always a pleasure talking about movies. I'm glad I, I ran into you in on our semi-fictional walk where we met each other for the first time. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much still doing the same thing. I have been watching uh, a, a variety of things on DVD that stands for digital video disc. Um, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's an interesting mode of seeing movies. A lot of you may be familiar with going to movie theaters, but since they're closed, what I've been using instead are these DVDs. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And one movie that I saw like that was called Police Story. Um, oh, you watched that on DVD? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just perjured myself. <laughs> no, I did watch it on Sorry DVD. The, uh, the hardcore cross-examination. <laughs> just... Maybe you I, was know, being I feel like sound intense. effects would have been... Great during these last like this twenty seconds. <laughs> Wait, but I uh yeah, it it was on disc. I got confused for a second because I was just plugging that people could see it on Criterion Channel, but I did actually watch it on 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 a disc, um, which is a two disc set, Police Story and Police Story Two. Um, I've only watched Police Story, and I'm saving Police Story Two when I need to pick me up, um, because the first one, um, you know the Jackie Chan extravaganza um it was just such so much fun and so delightful that i want to save the second one now um to see so Um, what's what's what happens in police story what's if if i know the plot is probably like immaterial but um if it might be useful to get an idea of it is kind of immaterial in fact i stopped thinking about it pretty quickly (laughs) Um, just to watch the knockabout stunts, and uh, but I, the plot. I mean, Jackie Chan is is a cop, uh, and he is, you know, trying to kind of infiltrate a syndicate, basically, um, that's, who is also having a corruptive in- influence on the on the police department. And he has his superiors that he's kind of suspicious of. Um, and what happens is this this kind of head of the syndicate, uh, his, his assistant, uh, who kind of knows all of the, the, the crime syndicate secrets, um, they get her, they arrest her so that they can get her to testify. So then Jackie Chan has to protect her. Um, and that leads to all sort of shenanigans. Uh, but basically it's just this kind of 
back and forth war between Jackie Chan and this syndicate and also parts of his police department as he kind of is on the outs with them because he's, you know, he's, he's just trying to do the right thing. But uh, sometimes that's, that's, that's hard when there's corruption. So he's kind of like a uh, sweet and innocent cop, right? I mean, that's sort of the vibe of his. He is kind of. I mean, he's, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of jovial. He does get pretty 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 steamed by the end, uh, you know, by by the corruption and, and kind of uh, acts out a little. Um, but yeah, he's basically he's he's a good egg. Um, and he's, so what he's would you say the moral of the story is? The moral of the story is that Jackie Chan is awesome. Um, that's pretty clearly demonstrated. Um, pretty pretty clearly demonstrated by a series of incredible death-defying s- stunts and feats of daring do. Um, I guess I'm a number of favorites. Uh, there's one stunt which is a car chase that, for some reason, is conducted downhill through an entire small village. Um, and this is actually an amazing stunt because it's it's done largely in long shot. So you just see this like this kind of town on the side of a mountain and two cars just kind of crash through it, just like small house by small house. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's... Uh, and he's they're kind they're of driving the cars or am I yeah, imagining him like surfing on top no, of the cars? No, they're driving the cars. There's also, the, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's also a surfing type stunt where he, this one's pretty famous. Uh, um, Jackie Chan is trying to catch up with a double-decker bus that's being driven um, by the villain. Uh, oh, right. and or the villain's cronies so he you know he he first he he first he steals i mean there are always there are all these casualties in these kind of movies and one casualty here is that uh jackie chan's character steals an umbrella from an old lady but he puts it to good use he uses it to kind of you know glom on to the um to the double decker um which i think then he loses track of it and then has to run down a hill to jump on it again no he runs down a hill to stop it um with a gun somehow he stops it short with a gun i i I don't know he's just kind of a superhero like here's a real superhero jackie chan i I, the thing that i always said is his like superpower though is that he just kind of like rides these rides these waves of chaos in like a and like kind of i always do think of him as kind of surfing like this craziness and he just is like flopping from thing to thing just like barely missing diving so ducking suddenly as something some other obstacle swings swings over his head yeah um, definitely and it, it's he's always like right on the verge of of uh of death <laughs> and failure he he is and and that's interestingly balanced with just jackie chan as kind of an entertainer because one of the things that's so much fun about this and other movies is just you can see the like the, the kind of thought and almost like love of 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 craziness that goes into planning each one uh, they're kind of sh- they're kind of show-offy but they're also welcoming they're not like they're not like show-offy in 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 in, in, a, in like a i don't know daredevil way even though they're very daredevil right, right. They're, they're mostly like they're like like let's entertain you you know i mean he's it's it's really like buster keaton you know something yeah, like yeah. that or, or or um you know chaplin or Howard lloyd or whatever um, and it's just so pleasurable. So you get like this pleasure of like watching him, you know, like shimmy down like Christmas lights down four floors of like a mall. Um, but you also get like this meta meta pleasure of just how much he's enjoying it. I mean, in that case, you can you can tell because he shows you him like shimmying down these Christmas lights from three different angles, just one after another. <laughs> he's just very happy. Yeah, about he's it. like the most he's like the most 
childlike of action stars like the and always kind of the least badass yeah i mean he's he just has a sense of humor i think is key to it as well like you know it's like there are all these fight scenes that just go on a, a little too long or like are a little like almost absurd like there's one also in this mall where they have like this long showdown there's just one scene where clearly it was just like let's break as much glass as we possibly can uh, just any excuse to like throw people through like window displays or throw people there even things are encased in glass that I don't even know why they're encased in glass but then they're swiftly shattered um, so it's yeah it's just I, I recommend this and a lot of people I think have been watching like musicals um, for the just kind of the thrill of motion right now yeah. and this is this is another thing to watch I think pure just physical fun um, I mean just a great stuntman a great entertainer a just and a great you know just just something to kind of liberate yourself um from from the everyday um i, I yeah i can't can't really you know also like not any revelation here like it's in the criterion collection um mm. but yeah everyone's i'm glad it is um i think um nick pinkerton wrote the booklet essay for it as i discovered afterwards um and you know he starts off his essay just by saying like let's just get this out of the way like the final eight ten, eight ten minutes of police stories like right up there with like you know beethoven's ninth or something in terms of like you know stunt scenes or action scenes as just this beautifully orchestrated and and and, and just dazzlingly executed work um feat you know so so that's police story see it now at, at participating criterion channels sounds good yeah cool. how about how about you guys what have you seen um Speaking of, you know, displays of just like physical prowess um, and just good bits of fun. Um, something I've been watching just randomly is a lot of um, Hindi and Bollywood music videos. I don't know why, but I've found them really soothing. And something that I realized recently was also I was seeking out these old uh song and dance performances from movies in the 60s and 70s especially those that featured really classic heroes and heroines um and you know there's something i think while we're sort of craving cinema at home and sort of nursing the absence of the cinema going experience there's like something really comforting about visiting uh the work of like bona fide movie stars um i think there's like something about watching them even in like these bits and pieces or even on the small screen on my laptop or the projector that feels like to some extent properly cinematic you know and larger than life and mm -hmm. it's something uh you know I, I mean not to make a generalization but i do think that kind of pure star quality is sort of uh become like less uh, common or like a little more rare at least the way that it was framed and sort of the um as like the event or the main element that you know films were often built around um that's become sort of more rare in contemporary indian cinema too though uh, again not to make a generalization and so i found this kind of nostalgic pleasure in in revisiting those films and those scenes and uh, one particular genre that I found myself revisiting is uh, the Tawaif genre. Uh, and these Tawaifs were, um, it's like an Urdu word for like a courtesan. Uh, and they were, you know, these 
highly sophisticated uh, women who were trained in the arts in music, culture, um, literature, drama, and they would perform in Mughal courts and uh, be like companions for rich noblemen and train uh, princes and princesses and the children of aristocrats and rules of etiquette. Uh, you know, they were known for their poetry and their uh, singing and dancing skills. And so there's sort of this slim but quite popular genre of movies uh, from like the 60s and 70s that centered on, you know, Atawaif as the as the main character uh, or as sort of this main tragic character in a melodrama. So sort of a little bit like a hooker with a heart of gold, but a little bit, but, but different in the sense that, um, you know, they, their work was like uh, primarily performative. So these films would be kind of built around these scenes of performance, uh, these scenes of classical music and dance. Uh, and, you know, I, I uh, recently contributed to uh, Reverse Shot's new series called Connected, where um, one writer just like writes about something they've been watching during quarantine and then sends the essay to another writer. And the other another writer sort of responds with something that just connects to a theme in the first essay and connects it to something they've been watching. And I received an essay from Susanna Gruder, who's um, a, a freelance critic on Gilda. And it just so happened that I was watching all these Tawaif films, um, which were, you know, also these uh, featured, like, lavish musical sequences were built around a kind of feminine star power. And I was revisiting the work of all these, you know, studio heroines, these yesteryear female superstars of Indian cinema. So... Um, I just ended up sort of while working on my essay, you know, reading more about this particular genre and how these Tawefs were actually really respected and, um, you know, careerist women of the arts. But in the movies, you know, since then, they've been mostly depicted as, um, you know, like... uh, uh, something akin to a hooker with a heart of gold or these fallen women who all they want is to get married to a, a respectable aristocrat and be accepted, mm. um, you know, into society. And so it's, I don't know, it's just this very interesting mixture of, um, especially these per- these performances, the songs and dance dances that they were do, and some of the very famous um films featuring them are like Devdas, which you guys might have seen one of the many Devdas um, editions. One of them was by Gurudat. And um, Umraujan is a really famous one. Mughalayazam, which starred the very beautiful Madhubala. Um, it's, it's really interesting because the song and dance sequences are simultaneously feel extremely literary and classical you know the they they perform classical indian dance forms like kathak um mm-hmm. and they're very sort of uh you know the the songs are like ghazals or kavalis they're these uh, persian and urdu musical traditions that are very poetic and lyrical and full of innuendo and literary references um, and these are very kind of restrained and yet extremely expressive dance forms. And so there's something 
and, and you know they harken back to a time of opulence and you know royalty so something very um yeah something very like culturally rich and and sort of high society about them mm-hmm. and at the same time the way that they're depicted it's like such pure melodrama you know it's like such pure hindi film melodrama because they're singing about wounded hearts and you know asking to be forgiven for their so-called sins or uh, the a really famous one by madhubala goes uh, the the sort of main lyric of the song is um what's there to fear when you've fallen in love so you know these kinds of themes and i don't know there's it's so it's been really comforting to visit these and to just let my you know lose myself in the beauty of these heroines in this like perfectly crystallized melodrama this kind of emotion set so um you know it just this emotion just choreographed so beautifully into a series of poses and movements and glances and expressions you know so restrained and so modest and demure but at the same time sort of transgressive and playing with rules of the veil and things like that um and just also very purely tragic you know and i think mm-hmm. tragedies are pretty relatable right now so i, I don't know i feel like I, i guess this is like a classic function of melodrama but i just feel like i can lose myself in the musicality of these um these sequences in the beauty of the people performing them and sort of displace the very heightened emotions i'm like walking around my house feeling onto their performances and onto mm. their expressions and so i've just really enjoyed that and i watched um a film called pakiza for this connected column that i wrote for a workshop and that's supposed to be sort of a template setter uh directed by kamalam rohi starring meena kumari who was one of the earliest female indian superstars uh one of the sort of uh women who early on you know she was known as someone who could just uh, who didn't need like a male star or a hero people would just come to watch her and she was an extremely talented singer dancer poet like a renaissance woman and um and it it starts pakiza stars her and her husband at the time this director kamalam rohi and the whole film took like 7 or 8 years to make uh, it like was one of the first films to use cinemascope in india and extremely ambitious production and during the production the director and the actress broke up then they reunited in that time she succumbed to alcoholism many people in the crew like died in the course of its making so it's kind of famous as this uh monumental you know touchstone of indian cinema both for its like story of old bollywood glamour and also um the actual story which is like a very i'm not going <laughs> to summarize the plot cuz it's actually so ridiculous it's like such a you know one of those classic melodramas where like fate intervenes at every turn and ridiculous coincidences happened and uh it, it even features a scene where the uh, the wef played by meena kumari um the ma- like the male lead in the film his name is salim he meets her in a train for the first time and she's asleep and he falls in love with her feet like he's enamored with her feet and he leaves her a note that says 
you know, you have extremely beautiful feet. Please do not, don't ever lower them to the ground and let them be soiled. So, Tarantino. Classy line. Move aside. Uh, (laughs) And and then, you know, there's, of course, there's many trials and tribulations and they're separated and then they meet again. She is spurned by um, high society and then accepted again and then discovers who her real father is, all of that. But really, all of that is really inconsequential. The film is just built around her performances and she, Meena Kumari was just a transcendent performer. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I just could watch these scenes forever. The way she is, she's performing to like these gathered groups of men and sort of inviting their gaze, you know, like making herself the object of their attentions and their desires, but so fully in control and uh, just able just with you know, a, a, a look or just a, a raise of an eyebrow to say so much, so much that she's otherwise not able to say in the film. It all sort of comes to the fore in these sequences and, and she's absolutely gorgeous. So just if you're looking for something opulent and beautiful and like I said, tragic and something to give you a good cleansing cry, then I recommend this genre and I recommend Pakiza, which is on Amazon Prime, I think. Oh, cool. Apparently, um, Mina Kumari was distantly related to... Tagore? Yeah, Tagore. Yeah. I mean, she's she's really fascinating. She wrote poetry under a pseudonym. Um, you know, she was... And she was born Muslim, with a Muslim name. But mm-hmm. when she was acting in those early days, she was acting in a lot of the early Indian films, like uh, which were like mythological, Hindu mythological films and... From what I've read, you know, she and there were other actors of her generation like Dilip Kumar and Madhubala who were all born in Muslim families with Islamic names and adopted these Hinduized stage names. Um, and it's really interesting because Pakiza is, is totally an Islamic film, you know. It's a beautiful literary Urdu. It's about the culture of, you know, this. it's about an Islamic tradition uh, and... I don't know. It's it's just interesting to me that she's still credited as, as Meena Kumari. I don't know. Yeah. Wait. So yeah. was that was yeah. that because of the the um the the subject matter of the film, the story in the film uh, that she she did that she would take on a uh, would change her name, or is that because of the kind of industry? I so in her case, I haven't been able to locate the exact reason. I I, I was trying to find it. Um, it, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but from what I've read, like in um, her biography and stuff, I think it was because she was doing um, she was doing these films that were like a little more explicitly religious in theme or mythological. And at the time, um, you know, she was advised that if she wanted to go on these sets and and be accepted, then it would be easier for her to have a Hindu name. Um, uh, I know in some cases, like in the case of Dilip Kumar, when he joined Bombay Talkies, one of the early studios, which at the time was run by the a woman often known as the first lady of Indian cinema, no, named Devika Rani. My only cool <laughs> your thing to say. There you go. <laughs> Wait, there are uh, a lot of there. There are a lot of uncool ones. Uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't actually. Do. <laughs> 
<laughs> this implies there's like some disgraceful All like right. the interesting <laughs> i don't know <laughs> the owner of a toxic um, waste company or something his name Right. I just I, I there's not that the f- many at least the most famous nerd in all of South <laughs> uh, South Asia. But anyway, when she signed Dilip Kumar on, or basically when he was signed on by Bombay Talkies, I think he was advised then to change his name to have a greater chance of becoming a mainstream hero. But there were um, actors and actresses who didn't do that and still had a lot of success, like Nargis who is the actress in Awara, uh, the Raj Kapoor film. Um, and there, mm-hmm. you know, so there's there's been others like that. So I don't know if it was a very consistent thing, but, you know, some actors did do that for just mm. for reasons of wanting to cultivate, like, mass appeal or uh, find it easier to work on sets. Yeah. And what well, sounds like also, uh, that these performances, they're kind of, were these solo performances usually? Yes, or? Uh, yeah. I mean, some there's like background dancers in some of these, um, and I imagine that was the case in the sort of real life historical performances too. But it's it's solo in the sense they're they're called mojras, and they're the focus is on like one dramatic figure who is mm. relaying all these stories and narratives through really through you know kind of micro movements. That's what I I got really fascinated with this week. Um, because the classical dance forms that they're performing are are quite restrained, you know. It doesn't involve, like, big physical feats. Um, it involves very small movements of the feet. Um, the one kind of connection that I made in my in the essay that I wrote was, um, if you remember in the music room, there's a Kathak performance. Satyajitri's mm-hmm. music room. Yeah. Like, yeah, so that's sort of, that. that's the kind of performance, but, you know, um, that they did, but... Uh, maybe a little more um, what do you want to call it like a little more not vulgar but suggestive suggestive that thank PG-13. you PG-13 <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah, that's that I actually watched that film a couple weeks ago and that scene is what made me go sort of seeking these old videos just because I was so uh, moved by it um, so are these movies that you grew up watching and you were revisiting or is this something, is this a you ongoing? Know, I didn't grow up watching them because they, I mean, these are even before my parents' times. Um, right. And some of them, I, you know, sometimes you could see them on TV, I feel, but I personally didn't really grow up watching them. But the interesting thing is I know so many of the songs by heart, even if I haven't seen the films. Really? So they just kind of became part of the culture? absolutely part of the culture and they were you know and they were not sung by these actresses even though the actresses were great some of them were great singers like Meena Kumari they were sung by um, the legendary playback singers of Hindi cinema like Lata Mangeshkar who you know basically was the only woman uh, singing songs in these movies for many years and Mohammad Rafi and my parents have uh, cassette tapes of you know when I was growing up they had cassette tapes of these um, singers and and you know these songs were just the, ubiquitous. So those recordings, so those recordings were, but those recordings were originally um, used in these films. Then I yes, imagine. yeah, and then you know the the soundtrack release for these films would be its own event and mm-hmm. its own separate product, and these songs would yeah become part of the canon of these singers too. And so, but you know these movies, 
<laughs> they don't all have like good uh home video releases you know um yeah. restoration is a big issue as well like uh getting them uh, in good condition i think there's a couple dvds of pakiza out and one of them has like random missing scenes and so it's really sometimes hard to get um like a good version Watch. there should be there should be like a nice prestige series of these you know yeah. i'm sure it's impossible to reduce to a certain number but like five to seven of them someone like criterion or whatever and that maybe there's a amazing. person maybe a person even on this podcast who could be kind of like <laughs> you know introducing them oh you guys and i'm talking about me <laughs> <laughs> who better Clint, your well-documented love. <laughs> Clint has been taking notes. He is. <laughs> Who better than me to, to introduce American audiences to the wealth, the vast wealth of Indian cinema. <laughs> In a series that I'm calling, as I understand it, Clint's picks. That's right. <laughs> well, actually, we do have a, this is actually a quite a good segue to a movie, um, Clint, you were talking about. Uh, that you had seen. I think you're referring to the ZZ Top documentary on Netflix. <laughs> ZZ Teep. ZZ T, as I call them. <laughs> ZZ T. Um, you're a ZZ Teaster. Yeah. That's who you are. Can I? Which I did watch, quest. but we I don't have. I don't. I have ahead. a request. Oh, you didn't watch it. Never mind. I, I did watch it. No, I watched it. Oh, you did. I watched the hell out of it. <laughs> didn't one of you also see the Beastie Boys film? Maybe this can be a um, quick little. I intended to, but I never. I never, I have it, and I haven't watched it yet. Um, Nick, did you watch it? I, I did. This was not my intended segue, for the record. Oh, okay. <laughs> Finally. I just thought of it, but I did you not like it? I, no. Um, the, the Beastie Boys documentary, um, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, a, it's just a sweet kind of um, trip down memory lane, basically. Um, and it's actually... As I understood, it uh, is a, a recorded, recorded. I think in Radio City Music Hall. Um, I think it was at King's Theater actually. And um, oh, Berkeley. you're right, you're right. It was recorded at King's Theater, um, and it's basically. Um, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> Ad Rock. Yes, Ad Rock and, and uh, Mike D. Yes, and they're like sitting and kind of reminiscing on the on the the times that they've had as as beastie boys yeah and i mean yeah did yeah, you see ahead. it you saw it no i, I oh. no but somehow i just i just <laughs> sucked up this information from the ether yeah so basically it's the two of them on stage and they they narrate the history of of, of the group basically from from the very beginning including their their beginnings as just you know kind of you know bratty brassy new york music you know kids music loving kids um and they just kind of walk through all of the touchstones in 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 in, in their history and what the breakthroughs for them were and i mean it's kind of funny i mean it's not funny because you know one of them uh, died but but i mean ultimately their path was like a pretty stable path as far as like pop stars or rock stars go like there wasn't really like as far as i could tell like much of a unhappy ending or unhappy like they just if, if you know when they got annoyed by some of the routines of doing concerts they just i guess did less or took it a different way and and they were able yeah, to do were... the music they wanted you know so they're a very like unneurotic band 
Yeah, yeah. Not a lot uh, of uh, angst. Yeah. But, Boys. Yeah. So, I mean, they're basically, you know, they they basically show clips, um, you know, cool old uh, f- f- footage. Um, and a lot of times it's just them on stage trading banter while on a giant screen behind them, like a clip is like queued up. So it's just kind of like, a, you know, friendly, you know, sweet affair. I, I won't say it's like some like brilliant definitive this or that. No, I mean that's so. Yeah, that's that's the that's the Beastie Boys. Uh, I I remember the name of it. <laughs> well, the ZZ Top movie is called ZZ Top. That little old band from Texas, and it's not nearly as it's as ambitious, but is uh, but it, it, that's appropriate, I think. Another totally not neurotic band, ZZ Top, just pure <laughs> id, <laughs> pure beard born um, id. Well, I just think that I think as and I and I don't know any but many other ZZ Top fans or toppers, as as we're known. <laughs> but um, they're just the most uh, aggressively stupid band I think that has ever existed, in in a really kind of blissful way. Like listening to some to the first three ZZ Top records, I think is really just cleans the mind completely i'll be honest i've never thought. heard a zz top song so i'm reading the that's Wikipedia not possible page. you you must have heard a Z. Oh, you, really? you don't okay. know um uh i, I i'm not gonna sing so i it's <laughs> not gonna i mean I'm, oh, i guess leg, unwittingly legs is a good one is me a, thinks is a... me thinks clint doth protest too much <laughs> oh don't make me sing don't make me sing well oh, all right you know what but so the other thing that so one thing i have been watching a lot of music uh uh, the ZZ Top documentary on Netflix is strictly for people who are fan- big fans of ZZ Top. But for that, it's totally, <laughs> it's totally fun. Um, but I've also been watching a couple. I've been watching a lot of Grateful Dead shows, full Grateful Dead shows on YouTube, which I think I mentioned to you guys a while back. Some of which are just really like incredible documents of, of uh, you know that subculture at that at throughout the seventies. And there's like this great. Uh, show from 1972 um in i think germany i think it's april 72 and it's just uh it's a i mean the music is amazing but um the other thing this that kind of led me to rewatch um amazing grace the aretha franklin documentary that's what i was trying to nick was originally trying to go (laughs) but we keep dragging him back into the (laughs) texas mud um and that movie is just really kind of also um, just, I don't even, I, transcendent. words kind of fail me. Yeah, I mean, tra- I, you could say transcendent, sure, why not? Because I just think that it's it's impossible to watch a, that movie and not feel moved by, the, by Aretha Franklin's performance. It's just, it gives me shivers just thinking about it. I mean, she's so incredible. And such a genius that I could, I was just thinking like, she's like Mozart level and in some way, like she just kind of channels not only music, but experience directly to the, to the audience. Um, and yeah, so that movie is always uh, a tonic, I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. It's also, it's just, it's so um, kind of unadorned in a way because it's just in this sort of plain looking um 
I mean, it's almost like outtakes, and you can see the uh, the cameramen kind of getting in each other's ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and she. I mean, she's at a she's at a podium or piano for alternating at certain points. It's, so it's just intimate. There's something about the plainness that makes it even more intimate and just like frank and just there because um, it, it, it doesn't even almost feel like it's a concert. You know, it's just it's like you're sitting in on a service that happens to be Aretha Franklin singing at the service. That's also kind of that's also kind of a recording session because you have these. True, also, the yeah. band is like Bernard Purdy and it's, the band is just like these insane musicians, like the best musicians. And they're just kind of like chilling in in the pews next to the uh, yeah. <laughs> next to the stage, and yeah. casually just playing this amazing music. There's this great moment near the end when these two young women kind of get up and start dancing, like kind of lose control and start dancing and dance their way out of the second row and <laughs> down into the front. And one of them like put like puts her hand on the on the uh, grand piano and just kind of like feels the vibrations from the piano and they kind of course through her and she looks like she's being electrocuted and, it's really, and then then the other one is just doing this like really uh repetitive but uh pretty graceful dance move and just like really getting down in front yeah and and just insane to think that it was unavailable for for so long but you can also kind of see why because i do think it was it's it's really pretty ramshackle as far as the in in terms of the filmmaking and it's and that adds to its charm, I think now. But if you're Aretha Franklin, in you know 1972, right. maybe you don't want that kind of uh, movie to be out and about. Yeah. But one of the things I was thinking, there is also this great moment where um, it's the be- there's two sets, and the second set begins, and uh, it there's just this I, there's a shot of Aretha kind of silently. Uh, getting ready to sing but then the a song starts that you thought had been playing live but it's actually um that she starts singing but she's still it's it's still just kind of silently sitting there and Mm -hmm. you you realize that it's uh that it's uh no longer kind of cinema verite that you have this cut coming up and then it kind of cuts to this in the middle of the performance and her just in full force Mm, um and that that's really uh, kind of a great moment where I think they probably there's probably a lot of that kind of stuff going on that you might not notice as much. Yeah, no, no. I was just going to say, I, 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 it, it, I mean, it, if I remember correctly, it is it's recorded for more than one actual performance, right? It's right. That there's two nights. Yeah, yeah. Which is always kind of a bit of movie magic for me um, that you never really think about it because in your head it becomes just unified as this one great concert movie performance. <laughs> well, and th- so then after that, I, we watched uh, Coffee because I just wanted to stay in that period, which is a total like the flip side, the seedy kind of mm. L.A. of the sev- early seventies. The sacred and profane. Right? That's the, the one. Greer, yeah, the mm. sacred and the profane, for sure. <laughs> and also to uh, to yeah, which also connects back to the Tarantino. I think one of you mentioned Tarantino with the feet, maybe. Yeah. But coffee is such a such a template for Tarantino. I think there's just a lot of things going that are just that he just kind of lifts wholesale. Yeah. For um, Kill Bill and um, but yeah, and of course uh, Jackie Brown. Right. 
yeah no I, it's, it's funny i mean when i was watching um, police story i mean i all i could think i could just i could hear the pencil from 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 35 years later i felt like i could hear the pencil scribbling of like american producers or directors watching it and just cribbing stuff you know <laughs> from police story right, you right. Know? Um, because there's just so many things where it's like, oh, I think I've seen a version of that. Oh, I've seen a version of that. You know, and that movie was 1985, which is before a lot of the like, you know, brasher, or bigger or mindless, um, you know, stunt packed, star driven action movies um, like late 80s, early 90s. But um, um, yeah. And so I think we're going to wrap things up with a little discussion of uh, Under the Sun of Satan. <laughs> Just Did she already a, talk about this pa- movie? A like... palate cleanser. <laughs> I, I never have. Where did I talk about it? I don't. I think thought I earlier wasn't there a segue to it from. Um... All you do is talk about Under the Sun of Satan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You won't stop talking. About it. Find it's like another this, personality. It's the yeah. sinister backbeat. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't think I have because I I did just wa- do this um watch watch it earlier. Uh, yeah, well, Under the Sun of Satan. Um, is the feel-good hit um, that uh, Maurice Pialat, director and one of the starring priests in it, he went, he did win the Palme d'Or for it and was booed for that. This is an interesting bit of can um, oh, yes. trivia. Hmm. It's one of the most notorious boos, and you can find it on YouTube where he, he gets up and there. He, doesn't he get? He gives kind of like a like he tells. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He gives as good as he gets. Yeah, he he gets he 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 says something like I feel the same way about you or something like that. Nice. Um yeah, he's uh, and but it was interesting kind of knowing that going in and I haven't seen this I think since there was a sort of sort of semi-historic PLA um series um um in New York um mm-hmm. that I I didn't I didn't I didn't I, at that at that time I didn't really know that it was so notorious and watching it like I I guess it's it's sort of an obdurate kind of movie. It's just like Gerard Depardieu is a priest who is literally like walking in the valley of the shadow of death or something, you know, like right. it's 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 just it makes like Diary of a Country Priest, you know, look, you know, look like a Disney movie. It's just it's just mm-hmm. relentlessly bleak, you know, small town staring Sandrine into the Bonaire abyss. Sandrine plays this like murderous, maniacal, like, right, doesn't she? I've, oh yeah, I haven't seen it. I think I haven't seen it in years either. But I remember that that scene with her uh, lover. Oh no, it's with Depardieu, right? Which, which yeah, has the gun. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sandra Benair. Yeah, she's just this dervish. I mean, I think like in, in uh, with another director, she might have been the real subject of the movie. <laughs> um, right. I, I, um, but there is always, I don't know, there's there's something definitely terrifying about someone just losing their faith like that and the and the depths of uncertainty and just purely being lost um, that, that you get from Depardieu. But no, he's he's walking in this blue twilight, which I can't even tell if it was filmed at twilight, probably maybe not, or if it's like day for night because he walks for a long time in it and then this guy starts walking with him who seems to be helping mm. him wants him to take a rest um and ultimately yeah you realize he is probably a kind of devilish demonic presence um and that 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 just sent yeah shivers down my, my spine um not a movie with a happy ending i don't think i'm spoiling anything by saying that 
you know, with the title of Under the Son of Satan, it's not going to end with a musical dance or something. Um, though it could. Um, but yeah, that, that was another bit of my viewing. Um, and we probably come to the end of our time now, but I, uh, much as Gerard Depardieu does in that movie, hey, um, but I just want to give a shout out to Elise Guy Blaché, um, who is a true cinema pioneer. And there's a nice documentary, Be Natural. And it's directed by Pamela Green. It just shows, it's an infuriating, infu- informative and infuriating documentary that shows how she's essentially on the same level um, as, you know, Edison and Lumiere in terms of being this founding pantheon, but also just having a huge body of work after that and being, I don't know if I'd say systematically or just like viciously sloppily written out of history. Um, I think so. it sounds like she's uh, potentially the subject of her own podcast. I mean, I could not, not, I could not disagree with that. And I can, I can think of, uh, yeah, hmm, let's do that. Guess. So let's, let's put a yeah, pin in that one. Pin. Yeah. yeah so well i guess that's that's sort of we've sort of said our piece but what is everyone going to watch next gives gives you got to give people something to look forward to uh i'm i'm going to delve into the women filmmaker series that debuted on criterion a couple of days ago um i think it began as a metrograph series a program by nelly killian and yeah so it's called tell me women filmmakers women's stories and has sort of a very interesting selection of foundational feminist works. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Betty Tells Her Story by Leanne Brandon. I think it's a pretty short film, but um, Brandon's sort of a figure I'm really interested in, and I've never seen the film, so maybe next time we meet, um, I'll have some thoughts about that. I would, I would love, I would love that. I saw those movies at, um, at Metrograph, and yeah, it's really a great series. Great, Clint. I also wanted to watch a Joyce at Thirty Four, which is part of that same series. Um, yes, Joyce Chopper. And we've been talking a lot about rewatching uh, Joan, Joan the Maid, the Jacques Rivette film, uh, which oh. is on uh, Amazon. I noticed so and is one of my favorites, but that, that I'm not sure it will hold up in a home viewing setting. I think it's the sort of thing that you really want to watch in a theater. So right. Like, yeah. Oh, well, I, what can you do? What can you do? Well, along those lines, I probably shouldn't be watching um, bright, A Brighter Summer Day <laughs> at home, but, but, you know, I have some time. So like, um, that works. <laughs> okay. Well, if it I mean, works, it's then... sad. I think if you encounter it um, at home, but no, you know. yeah, it's yeah, it won't be. But um, so that's that's up next for me. Um, well, um, let's take our our beauty sleep now, so we'll be ready to talk about all those movies. Um, but uh, thank you both for um, getting together. I'm so glad we ran into each other on our um, quarantine walks. But uh, off we ride into the off we ride off into the this episode sunset. But who knows what will happen? Stay tuned. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.